With your Bible open today to the 13th chapter of the book of Judges, chapter 13 of the book of Judges. Kwaman, thank you so much for playing for us this morning. You've got to take care of yourself, my man, because uh, you're playing for my funeral, and uh, it won't be long, so um, <clears throat> stay ready, and uh, we'll see what happens. It's wonderful to hear you always. The times of the judges uh, were from 1375 B.C. till 1050. It was a time, as you know, when there was no king in Israel, and everybody did that which was right in his own eyes. 1991, Hollywood had a version of biblical truth. They never intend to do so, but they succeed. And at that time, they produced a movie and called Sleeping with the Enemy. And Julia Roberts played in it, and she was married to a handsome, suave, debonair businessman who had done quite well, and they had a home in Cape Cod. But as it turned out, he was a psychopath, and he was intent, ultimately, on her destruction. And the whole thing unrolls as she tries to save her life and get away from him. And she, and this movie was entitled Sleeping with the Enemy. Actually, that's the title I have borrowed this morning for the message, which begins in the 13th chapter of 1 Samuel, of, uh, rather of Judges. So 13th chapter of Judges beginning in verse 1. And again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said, Indeed, now you are barren. And you have borne no children, but you shall conceive and will bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the land of the Philistines." I pause there to make a comment that I shall not have time to develop in the sermon. But if the Nazarite vow, the highest and holiest vow of the Israelites was a vow that involved no use of strong drink, exactly how is it that some who are preachers of the gospel today say it's perfectly all right for Christians to drink? I'd just like to hear some honest answer for that question, but I won't pursue it today, for it's apparent. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me. His countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Awesome indeed. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. 
But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Drink no wine nor similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O oh my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what, uh, we, will, what we shall do for the child who will be born. So God listened to the voice of Manoah. The angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. And Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man of God came to me the other day, and just now he has appeared to me again. So Manoah rose and followed his wife. And when she came to the man, he asked him, Are you the man of God who spoke to this woman? He said, I am. Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all I have said to the woman, let her be careful so that she not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, all that I have commanded her, and let her observe. So then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us de uh, detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Note that expression. Well, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. Now look what the angel says. Angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask me my name, seeing that it is wonderful? Seeing that it is wonderful. The expression is Pele in Hebrew. Seeing that it is Pele. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he and he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened that when the flame went up toward heaven that from the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. And when the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that it was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, our gooses are cooked. That's a Pattersonian translation, but that's what he was saying. We shall surely die because, can you believe he said this? We have seen God. Now, don't miss that. It's going to be important. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and the grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have said such things to us at this time. So the woman bore a son, and they called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. Now watch this verse. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahane Dan between Zorah and Eshtao. The Lord began to move upon him. 
Now, what we have before us is, to begin with, a chosen life of promise. Mrs. Manoah had no son. She had no child. She was barren. And we cannot imagine such a thing in our social order that this was not a blessing of God. To have no child meant that there was no responsibility. And to have no child meant that uh, uh, we would not have the expenditure of rearing children. Ah, we think it's a wonderful thing. But God said it misses the whole point of marriage. And it misses the whole point of the rearing of the next generation and the responsibilities that we have. So in that early day, even in the days of the judges, they understood that barrenness was a judgment of God. As a matter of fact, they understood it too much that way. They didn't understand that sometimes God was up to something. It was the conclusion of all who saw Mrs. Manoah that somewhere down the line she had done something and God had judged her by closing her womb. Never occurred to them that maybe God was doing something special. And so there was a day when in all of her sorrow she was out in the field and there appeared to her this strange figure she had never seen or known before. And the man of God said, you are barren. And she probably thought, that's a firm grasp of the obvious. Why do you say something like that to me? And he said, but you're not going to remain that way. By you're going to conceive and bear a son. And it won't just be any son. It's going to be a very special son that I'm going to bless. He's going to be a Nazarite from the day of his birth. And I'm going to use this young man in an incredible way. Well, she goes back to the house and she says, Manoah, 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 you will never guess what happened to me. I saw an angel today. And Manoah had a usual masculine reaction. You foolish, emotional women, when will you learn to have a little bit of logic? You haven't seen an angel. You just saw somebody you didn't know. But in the unlikely event that he ever comes back, call me so I can make a good judgment on the matter. Well, she's out in the field again, and the angel of the Lord appears to her again. She says, if you don't mind, I'd like for you to stay right here while I go get the old man. And so she goes and she says, Manoah, you need to come because he's back. And so Manoah goes out, entertains the angel, gets into a conversation with him, doesn't realize that it's the angel of the Lord. But the angel of the Lord says to him in verse 18, why do you ask my name seeing that it is wonderful? And that word Wonderful Pele in the Hebrew text is a word that is never used in the Hebrew text except that it has to do with God and God speaking. For example, in Isaiah, unto us a son is born. And uh, that son 
is uh, going to be the wonderful counselor. What is that word? The Pele Yoates, the wonderful counselor. He's going to be the God counselor. He's going to be the one who always gives advice that is correct. And so Pele is a word that identifies deity. This is the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh. It is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Now, many people believe that Christ comes to exist in Bethlehem. Oh, no, that's his incarnation. There was never a day when the Word of God did not exist. He existed from everlasting to everlasting, and this is only one of several theophanies or Christophanies that occur, appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. And so this is the angel of Yahweh, the Christ himself, and that's why it uses that word Pele. Well, when uh, Manoah spreads the sacrifice there and lights it, suddenly the angel of the Lord goes into the fire and disappears from sight. And then it is that Manoah's theology gets into gear. And he says, we've had it. This is the angel of the Lord. No man can see God and live. We're going to die as sure as the world. And Mrs. Manoah says, keep your toupee on. Don't get too excited. If he was going to kill us, he would have got us already. And he wouldn't have told us all these things anyway. And sure enough, she conceives and bears a son. Now, I want to tell you, when you bear a child, you don't know what's going to happen. You're thrilled to death. I never will forget when the physician came in with that little boy and handed him to me and said, this is your son. And I knew immediately two things. I knew that I loved that little boy more than I ever thought possible. And I also knew that I could kill. Because if anybody done anything, that little boy, I'd have taken him on. So at one time, I had two adverse reactions in that moment. Well, what a thrill it was to hold that little boy. And yet, had you said to me, what's his future? I could not have told you. I knew that to the best of our ability, we would bring him up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. But what would actually become of him? At some point, he has to make his own choice. And uh, because of the fact that I'm not one that believes this is all predetermined in eternity past, I think his choice is a real one. He has to make a choice. I don't know what he's going to do. You don't know what he's going to do. We have no certainty. But let me tell you what, when Mrs. Manoa held her baby, she knew, she thought she knew that everything was going to be fine. This was the baby that God had given. I want you to see what happened to him right here. He is a chosen life of promise. Look at verse 25. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move. That word move is pa'am in Hebrew. To pa'am him, it literally means to strike him. The Spirit of the Lord began to strike him at Mahanah. Strike him. What is that all about? Well, sweet friend, have you ever been in a situation where you knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that God took over? 
you're witnessing to somebody and suddenly it's not you and you know it isn't you. The Spirit of God palmed you. He, he just came and, and literally took over the situation. You ever been preaching a sermon and suddenly the thing just got away from you and you knew it wasn't you? God palmed you. The Spirit of the Lord struck you and you were doing something that you had no idea just exactly how it all came to pass, but it was clear that God was there. Now, that's what happened to Samson. The Spirit of God palmed him. He began to strike him, and various things happened, not only what he said to the children of Israel, but what he did, and the Philistines hated to see him coming. One day, if you keep reading in the book, he decided that the Philistines had been a problem enough, and he caught 300 foxes, chapter 15, verse 4. He tied their tails together, and he set them on fire and ran them through the Philistine crops and burned them all to the ground. Take that. Now, look, I don't know whether you've ever been around foxes or not, but finding 300 of them would be quite an achievement. If you found them, catching them without killing them is another problem. And if you caught them, holding them and tying their tails together and setting them on fire, man, I want to tell you what, he had to have the Spirit of God or he would never have survived it. But he lit them up, sent them through the Philistine crops and burned them all to the ground. Oh, my goodness. Well, another time, Philistine said, we've had enough about that. And so they tried to kill him, but he found the jawbone of a donkey. And he took that in his hand, and he killed a thousand of the Philistines with it. Man, he was some man. He was a real man. He was a powerful man, not only a prophet of the Lord, but a powerful man. This guy is everything you would ever want to do. With his long flowing locks, he made quite an impression just to look at him. And there was no weightlifter anywhere that would ever live who would not envy this man, Samson. What a guy he was. Well, he was a chosen man of promise. And I want you to be very careful if you're a chosen man of promise. Because I want to tell you, the more handsome you are, the more in shape you may be, the more gifted and talented you may be, the more gifts you may have, the more trouble you are in. As a spokesman for God, you have a target on your back, and Satan is unconcerned about what a lot of people do, but he has every concern about what you do. You have the potential to change the future of thousands of people. One of the greatest joys, I told you the other day, that I ever have running across somebody who's serving the Lord, who was saved somehow miraculously in my ministry. And you have the opportunity to repeat that a hundred times over. It'll be a blessing to you throughout your life. What God does through you is an amazing facet of his grace. And it can happen, but watch out 
if you are so gifted. Watch out because Satan is setting a trap for you. I want you to see that he is not only a greatly gifted man, I want you to see that he's not only a chosen life of promise, but he also has a carnal side to him and becomes involved in a carnal life of pleasure. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a woman of Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Uh Uh-oh, you're not supposed to get interested in those. They're off limits to the child of Israel. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah, the daughter of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the Philistines, from the uncircumcised? Said his father, Get her for me. Watch what he says. Get her for me, for she pleases me. Now, at some point or another in your ministry, you've got to make a choice. Will you please God or will you please yourself? Now, the answer to that question is going to determine the usefulness of your ministry. That you choose to please God does not mean you will do so perfectly. You're an imperfect human, and you make mistakes, and there's sadnesses in your life that you wish had never occurred, but you have made a choice, I want to please God. It is more important for me to please God than it is to please myself. But Samson now makes a choice. As blessed of God as he is, man, he has everything going for him. He is invincible. He is like Superman. He has it all lined up behind him, but he wants to please himself rather than please God. And so he marries a Philistine woman. Well, you would think that that would be enough, but it's not. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now, Samson went to Gaza, and he saw a harlot there, and he went in to her. You you mean you're going to be unfaithful to your wife? Yes, he was unfaithful to his wife. And he instead went in to this harlot, and he has a relationship with the harlot. Well, Surely he'll get away with it. No, not really. And so it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came to her. Now, wait a minute. Isn't that the third one? Yeah, that's the third one. That's all we're told about. There were probably more. But this is the third one. He loves Delilah in the valley of Sorek. Philistines came to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him and afflict him. And every one of us will give you, man, they're going to make her wealthy, 1,100 pieces of silver apiece. Oh, yes, there's always a price involved, isn't there? Well, she says to Samson, you got to tell me, how are you so strong? 
And he said, well, the truth is, if I were bound with seven fresh bowstrings, I would be weak. So the Philistines find him bound. She binds him, and they come in, and she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you, and he treats those bowstrings like they were taffy candy and bursts them asunder and goes out and wrings one Philistine neck after the other. And so Delilah comes back to him, and she says, you didn't tell me the truth. You mocked me. You told me lies. Tell me uh, what would be the sign of your strength. And he said, well, if I were bound with brand new ropes that had never been used on anybody else, I would be weak. And she binds him with the ropes and, and says, arise, the Philistines are upon you. And he gets up and he pops those ropes as if they were rubber bands. And, and uh, he goes after the Philistines again. Well, she comes back and she says, you surely can't love me. You don't tell me the truth. And so he tells her, well, the truth of the matter is if you were to weave the locks of my hair into seven strands on the head, then I would be weak as everybody else. So she does it. And, uh, and she says, the Philistines are upon you. And he gets up and shakes the locks out of his hair and shakes Philistines coming and going. And now she really gets serious. This is verse 15 of chapter 16. Then she said to him, how can you say that I love you when your heart is not with me? Isn't that pitiful? And uh, you have mocked me these three times, and you've not told me wherein your great strength lies. Oh, Samson, isn't it pretty obvious to you where she's going with this? Oh, don't tell her. Samson, she's proven three times that she's not reliable, that she doesn't care anything about you. Don't tell her the secret. Oh, no, Samson, don't do it. Please don't do it. It came to pass. I love the King James translation of this. She pestered him daily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. And her words pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death that he told her all his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head for I have been an Azurite to God from my mother's womb. And if I'm shaven, then my strength will leave me and I'll become weak and be like other men. When Delilah saw that he had told her his heart, she sent and called the Lord to the Philistines and said, I'm going to deliver him to you. And she had him lie on her lap. And while, she was, while he was sleeping strongly, he evidently was a strong sleeper to endure all of these things and not wake up. That's a good sign to you, by the way. Don't sleep too much. Just as a passing matter. If you sleep too much, you're lazy and you're not doing all that God wants you to do. So get busy. Well, he went sleep in her lap. She shaved off his locks. And then verse 20, she said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke up from his sleep. And one of the saddest verses in the Bible, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Oh, 
Oklahoma. What starts out as a chosen life of promise and moves to being a life set on pleasing himself ends up now as a cratered life of pain. And I want you to make no mistake about it. Johnny Bassanio, for years and years and years, kept a Bible. I imagine he still has it. In the front of the Bible and over into the back of the Bible, he recorded the names of all the young men that he knew in school who had so much promise for the Lord's kingdom. They were headed for the Lord's work. And every time one of them fell, he would mark out that name. Almost every name in John Bassanio's Bible has been marked out. The truth of the matter is that Satan has an eye on you. And he wants to bring your life to ruin and to take as many people with him as he possibly can. Make no mistake about it, what turns out for Samson is a tragedy. This man who had it all going is sleeping with the enemy. And you're going to think I'm talking about one of these three women. But the enemy that Samson slept with, he slept with every night of the world. The enemy with whom he is sleeping is himself. Sleeping with the enemy uncommitted ultimately to the things of God, unwilling to please God rather than to please self. If you were to come to this seminary and you didn't learn a single thing, but you just left here with a commitment to please God, I would think it had been a fabulous success. I would praise God for you because I would know that your life can be used of him. You can learn the facts of the Bible some other way, but you have to be determined to please God rather than to please yourself. Samson makes the tragic mistake, and now he doesn't even know that the Spirit of God has departed from him. He goes out and shakes himself and says, I'll mop up the earth with the Philistines one more time. And guess what happens? They easily take him. And now he becomes a grinder. Look at verse 21 of chapter 16. The Philistines took him and put out his eyes. Now he's blind. They took him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters. And he became a grinder in the prison. You know what that means? That means that he did the work of a donkey. Under normal circumstances, a donkey or an ox would be hitched to the grinding mill, would walk in circles all day long, grinding the mill. Now it is not a donkey and it's not oxen. Samson, the great powerful judge over Israel, now walking in circles, grinding meal in a Philistine prison. It's how they all end up, folks. You start out a great preacher of the gospel. The Lord God comes upon you. 
and things happen that you can't account for that you would never have done within your own power. People are saved and others commit their lives to the worldwide ministry and many come rededicating, reconsecrating their life to the Lord and, and you know what it means to walk in the spirit and the power of God. And then because of the fact that you can't handle your own lust, you make a mistake that many of you are going to make. And then you're out of the ministry. You're grinding in a Philistine mill for the rest of your life. Even in the end, when Samson's hair grows back and he senses the strength again come upon him, and then he takes out more Philistines than he ever had by pulling the temple down on top of them, even that takes his own life. So Samson's story ends up being a sad story. He was one of the most gifted evangelists that I ever knew. He was a young man. In his youth, he had a knack with words. And um, there was something about him that I didn't quite trust, but unquestionably, he had great ability. And um, Dr. Criswell was very favorably impressed with this young man. He was so favorably impressed with him that he pretty well gave him the Sunday night services at, Sunday, at First Baptist Church in Dallas. And every Sunday night when we would gather, this young man would be preaching. But then there came a day when I heard that he had had an affair. He continued preaching because it did not become apparent to anybody but a few of us, and we were not able to prove that it was true. And then there came a day when there was a second affair, and it began to circulate, and then Dr. Criswell removed him from the pulpit. He ended up trying to have a ministry, but to no effect, and finally was killed on his own form by a Cape Buffalo that trampled him there on the farm. What a heartbreak. He had already divorced his wife. His children no longer thought highly of him. The sadness visited upon them was incredible. Oh, I forgot to tell you about the young man that I remember as a boy. He came to our church in a revival. He was an evangelist, but he was one highly intelligent evangelist. Uh, he so much impressed me because of his grasp of bibliology. He knew the books. He first introduced me to some of the most important works I ever read on the atonement of Christ when I was just a boy. And I was so impressed with him. He was traveling all over the United States, preaching crusades, hundreds of people being saved. And then one night up in Lubbock, Texas, he was involved in an affair, and his ministry was gone forever. Not too long after that, he died of a coronary arrest, left a grieving family, 
Nobody even knows his name today. If I were to call it to you, nobody here would know his name. You see, I could stand here and for the next two weeks, I could tell you name after name after name after name to whom that has happened. And I could, if I knew the future, call many of your names also. It happens right now while you're at school, but it will especially happen when you get out there in a high-profile pastorate and people see you and know you and call you pastor, call you counselor, call you the minister of music, then it's going to hit. It's not occasional. It's not once a year. It is at least once a month that my phone rings and somebody says, have you heard what happened to so-and-so? I am pleading with you today. Make up your mind that you will not please self, but please God. This temptation is especially effective because God created your sexual ability. It is a natural thing that God has created. It is a wonderful thing that God has given you, but it is a horrible thing to abuse. And God has said, not because he wants to be arbitrary, but because he knows what kind of people he has created, that you cannot do this and get by with it. You will pay a horrible price in your body, in your family, in everything that is dear and precious to you. I plead with you today to read the life of Samson and determine, I will not go where Samson went. I will please the Lord Jesus. Heads bowed, eyes closed, please. Look, I'm an old man, and I've seen much too much of this in my life. And I see it in some of our students every semester. So I know that many of you are fighting with this right now. Look, young people, it's no sin to have a war with it. It is a natural temptation, and it's especially strong in young, viral men. But I want you today to make a commitment to God. This is not an invitation, a public invitation to come forward. I don't want that. I just want you sitting right there where you are to make a commitment to God. And here's what I want you to tell him. Dear God, I am horribly tempted in this area. Already, I'm viewing pornography on a regular basis. Tragically, many of you young women are viewing pornography. It is the start of a slope so slippery 
that it might as well be made of ice. It will take you right down to hell. And I would like for you today to tell God, God being my help, I'm going to choose to please God rather than please myself. Would you just say that to him right now, quietly in your own heart? Heavenly Father, these are my children that you've given me. One where I'm false, I can't help but feel the responsibility. Father, they're sweet kids. They're wonderful children. They want to do well. They want to do right. They want to be used of God. Father, I ask right now that you enable every one of these to determine I will please God rather than self. Lord, May it be that they'll never be scratched from any list. May it be that they will live long enough to see the torrential blessings of God fall into their lives as they make it all the way to the end of life and present their bodies a sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God. Dear Lord, I pray that you would intervene and stop the assault of Satan and instead show them the beauty of holiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.